Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership podcast, where I get to dig into delicious conversations with incredible global leaders and ask them all about women in leadership, and we get to soak up their wisdom and perspective on life and leadership. I am so thrilled to welcome Deb Eckersley to the conversation. Deb, so lovely to have you here today. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, let me jump straight into your bio so our audience know who I'm talking to. So Deb Eckersley is mum, wife, and is now embarking on a new career as a business owner and a budding non-executive director. She spent the last 35 years working in professional and corporate life in Australia, including in the executive teams of PwC Australia and Bank of Queensland until recently. Deb led the people and culture teams at PwC and Bank of Queensland with responsibility for all things HR. Most of her time at PwC was focused on working with clients, so boards, CEOs and executive teams on challenging people change and performance and leading remuneration alignment matters, where she also led the people and change consulting practice across Asia Pacific. Deb is a passionate advocate for gender equality, including as past president of UN Women Australia. Outside of work, Deb loves to travel. She's often at the movies and the theatre or sporting events with her husband of over 30 years and their son and daughter. Deb, as I said again, wonderful to have you here. And for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, tell us who you are as a human being. It's such a hard question, isn't it? As a human yeah. being, really just gone through my through my bio. But um, yeah, I mean, I I'm a wife and a mum. I mean, it's probably where I spend most of my time um, now. Even though my kids are grown up, uh, I'm passionate about making a difference. And so, you know, if you, any profiles on me would probably show that I care deeply about you know equality and fairness. Uh, and I love to travel. I'm curious. Um, I love sport. I grew up in Geelong, so I'm a country girl almost at heart, which means I've got a passion for AFL and the cats. Um, <laughs> I uh, And, uh, yeah, I'm curious and hopefully empathetic and, and care a lot about what matters um, in the world. But um, And also at an interesting stage of my life, given I've just kind of walked away from a, you know, from a corporate, corporate job. So I would say right now I'm in a bit of a state of flux as a human um, as well. Uh, but that's exciting and scary all at the same time, but something I'm really excited about. I love that you said that, exciting and scary at the same point in time, right? I mean, yeah, it is. You've stepped away and, and you're you're focused on ideas but not necessarily sure what that's going to become, right? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's it's evolving and, and, I, and I think, you know, I'm pretty... So, yeah, at this stage I, I made a decision to stop kind of full-time full time work in a, in a corporate job, if you like. Um, and, yeah, I've kind of just set up my own advisory um, business, um, just kind of just me, but it's uh, it's exciting and I'm, you know, talking to, to lots of people. What's been great is that, you know, since I, since I left full-time work a few months ago, I've had uh, more coffee chats than you could poke a stick at, which for people who do know me is a little bit weird because I don't even drink coffee. So I've drank a lot of tea and a lot of juices. Um, and, and it's just been great to kind of reconnect with people that I've, that I've known over the years. But, you know, you, you lose a bit of touch with, you know, you get busy and, you know, talk a lot about bubbles. You kind of get each into your own kind of bubble. 
Um, so to reconnect with people um, and, you know, get advice, but, you know, st- you know, work out what's right for me. I've also had the pleasure of doing lots of travel and stuff, which means I've thought about nothing but um, but having a good time. So that's been good um, as well. But sometimes I feel like I do my best thinking when I'm not actually deeply thinking, <laughs> like it's just in the back, just in the back of my mind. Fantastic. So, Deb, what would you call out as your superpower? Uh, I think what people would say, because I think that's probably a better way for me to put it, um, people would say that I'm I'm very pragmatic, um, overly so, so um, I would say sometimes. So, yeah, very practical in, in the solution. So I'm a problem solver, but really practical in a way that I that I do that. Um, authenticity is probably something that gets um, banned around about me. Um, and so I think, I think my superpower is... Yeah, getting to getting to the real why of something's going on. Yeah. So a curiosity and then practically what does that really mean? I mean, I, I was a consultant for 20 years and so you either get good or you don't last. You you get good at um, at actually trying to explore what's actually going on behind the, you know, under the surface, I suppose, of something. So there's a curiosity and then a kind of what does that mean? And then hopefully some empathy um, as part of that uh, mm-hmm. as well. So let's focus on your career because it has been amazing. So you've had that long time consulting and then you moved into, um, I guess, Bank of Queensland coming out of that. Tell us about that move and, you know, were you very intentional about that move or what was going on for you at that point in time? Yeah, I mean, I was intentional about about the move and I'll, I'll give a bit of insight into that. But, but I think what I would also say is that I've, I, I like to think that I don't plan, like, you know, I think that, <laughs> but I do like so um I I have a kind of broad plan of of my life and I have for probably quite a quite a while if I'm honest about it I even think back to a story I often tell which is when I was going for jobs outside you know from uni a long time ago and this will give you an indication of how long it was I remember going for job interviews t- um to a lot of the what was a big eight then there's now four big professional mm-hmm. services there were eight at the time and they used to send letters out you know on pieces of paper and uh, down on the bottom, on some of the firms, they used to list all the partners. You couldn't do that now. There's too many. Um, but a list all the partners. And I remember in one interview with with a firm um, being a bit uh, bolshy um, with the interviewer when they had you know, said, do you have any questions at the end? And uh, I asked a question around why there was no female. There were no female partners at this firm in, in Melbourne. I was living in yes. Melbourne. Um, and, uh, and so I think even then it probably gave an indication that I had a long-term view even though it probably also came from a perspective of it just didn't seem right. Um, by the way, their answer was, oh, it's coming, you know, we've just been a bit slow, blah, blah. So, you know, not not really a great answer. Yeah. So um, in terms of being intentional, it's funny, I always, my husband and I had always said that I would probably um, uh, retire, for, I'm putting little quotation marks up there, retire um, around 50 ended up leaving PwC when I was around 50 years old um, but I took another <laughs> took another yes. job being in Bank of Queensland and the reason and the intentional part of that coming back to your question was that I felt after God, 25 years I think I was with PwC um, I felt like I needed corporate experience I had advised companies I had been on the PwC um, leadership team so I had, had, had been part of leadership there um, a long time ago. But I, I felt like I needed a corporate experience. And I've always, I've always said to my kids, actually, it's not the, the things I've regretted in life aren't the things that I've done. They tend to be the things that I've not done. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because I've kind of hesitated or 
I don't know, not done it, got nervous, whatever. So um, I think I would, I, I kind of looked out to my future and thought I would regret it when I was 70 or something if I had not actually had a go at doing it for real yeah. <laughs> environment. So that was very intentional. It was very intentional to get different kinds of experiences and, you know, advice that's been you know, given to me over the years that I really valued was that, you know, you can work for 40 or 40 or 50 years, whatever, but if you're doing the same job for 20 or 30 of them, are you actually learning and growing or whatever? And so it was really important to me to step out and do something um, different enough to feel like I was really being challenged. I like being challenged, weirdly. Yeah, I like So tell, tell me about a comparison between the two then because there'll be a lot of people in your shoes who who could be in consulting firms right now thinking about do I make that shift or otherwise. Like what? how do you describe the difference? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, and I, I did enjoy it. I mean, you know, you can <laughs> Bank of Queensland has had its challenges. You can read that in the, in the press. But I but I really I really enjoyed it. A, good, a great bunch of people. Um, I think that the difference is, you know, at, in consulting your, I mean, you know, down to one extreme, you're doing six-minute timesheets, right? Um, I'm never going, never going back to that. Um, and and so and and you're on a you're on a kind of treadmill of what's your next win, what's the, you know, what's the impact you're having, and it's a very, it's a very, at one level, a very collegiate environment, another level, quite competitive yes. environment. Which you know, to some degree, I thrived in. So I'm not, I'm, and I learned a lot, and I, you know, really value my time there. Uh, however, it's it's a, a different sense of purpose, I suppose. I would call it when you're working in a corporate or on, on an executive team, where your where your focus is all about, um, you know, delivering to your shareholders and getting getting the right, getting the best results for your people and your customers and shareholders. It's a, it's a kind of, it's a slightly different. Um, kind of set of focus and and then uh and then it's you know boq is a listed company and so you know you've got shareholders you've got external shareholders i worked in a professional services partnership obviously wc is so it's a bit more internally focused because you don't have that external um pressure if you like from shareholders um and then you know bank is a regulated a regulated um through APRA etc and so it's a different set of pressures um that that come that come with that which is completely appropriate by the way but it's a different different set of um pressures uh and I think you can take a you know when you're a purely a consultant and I was lucky enough to be on PwC's leadership as well but when you're purely a consultant um you know you're very focused on you know that project for that client and delivering to that and delivering it well uh, but that can mean you can be a bit you know you have to be short-term focused in terms of that apart from you know you want to build long-term relationships obviously yes. but you've got a short-term project delivery um in a corporate you know you're thinking about things over you know a very long very long time period um and uh and you've got to kind of balance the um had this awful expression i don't know you know whack-a-mole you know this yes. old game yep. yeah many of our listeners I'm sure they won't have heard of it but it's like a whack-a-mole I can't really I can't see me banging my hand but um and you know you are kind of always kind of um dealing with issues and and making sure nothing comes up and bites you uh at the same time you have to take a long-term focus and that can be tricky that can be tricky in a corporate but it's something that yeah you've got to learn how to do in a different way than you were when you're a pure consultant 
So, Deb, I feel like I have to ask because you uh, threw it on the table around the, you know, you look back and the things you regret are the things that you didn't do or the things that maybe you you wanted to and got fearful of. Are there any that stand out for you in your career? Uh, probably in, um, in my career, I would say that when I've taken on when I've taken on new jobs and, and I was lucky when I was at PwC and I was there for 20 plus years, I've kind of had a new job every four or five years and there's a real pattern in my career around that. Uh, I think I would say that sometimes I was too tentative when I first took on mm. a new role because I'm very, I don't know, very diligent, I suppose. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I want to understand things and I want, you know, before I would make changes. Mm. Uh, I think sometimes I was definitely too slow, whether that's um, frankly on people it's or always on people. other changes, yeah. Yeah, it's always on people. I can't tell the number of, you know, execs and leaders that I talk to where even though we hear it a lot about make decisions about people quickly, don't hesitate and things like that, people have to learn their own lessons in it, don't they? Yeah, and I think it's... Look, I think it's a human thing, right, because, you know, you may have, uh, I don't want to jump to conclusions on people or I don't want um, to rely on what other people, come people yeah. coming out of the role tell me about someone um, because, you know, you, you want to do the right thing by them. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a trick. I think it's one of the trickiest decisions that you make as a leader around who's going to be on your team. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's the most important decisions as well why, why hr why people and culture for you what what drew you there and kept you there yeah it's not because you know that hr cliche because i love people um <laughs> i kind of like people but um uh i you know I, I believe the cliche i do actually believe that the most important thing in an organization is its people yes and i've never and i've consulted to a lot of companies and I've never seen an organisation succeed unless they have good people in the right roles, getting the right development and feeling valued, mm. right? And so despite what the, um, you know, naysayers would say, I actually think it is one of the most important roles in a company. I'm, I'm a trained accountant. Like I did commerce, I'm a former chartered accountant. Like I, I know numbers um, and I think, you know, the finance teams and strategy teams, et cetera, all do amazing, all do amazing work. Uh but it wasn't what got me out of, you know, increasingly understood that um, the numbers side of it, if you like, wasn't, to me, wasn't what made the difference to sustainable success. It is about the people. Um, and, and so that's, you know, it excites me. And it, it, it's, it's interesting. I find, I find people fascinating. <laughs> Coming back to curiosity, I find people fascinating. And, you know, in HR you see people, at their worst, at their absolute worst, and you see people at their best. Unfortunately, sometimes you see, sometimes you see them more at their worst. Um, but kind of understanding what, not just what makes people tick, but what makes individual, what makes an individual tick, and what's going on for them, that you know, at the risk of sounding negative, what makes them behave that way, yes, is actually really fascinating. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, and in most cases, reasonably predictable if you know what if you know them well enough. And I think that comes back to you know so you know that's what makes HR so interesting in that often you're working with leaders to help them do their job well. Um, 
and uh, and you see that again. You see leaders at their best or worst, but you also see leaders trying to do their absolute darndest to create the right environment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so you know that's why that's why I, that's why I love it. Yeah. Deb, I um I wholeheartedly encourage women to get a grasp of the numbers, like to really be able to interpret yep. and understand and be part of the conversations. And I didn't know your background as well, but how important do you think was it the combination of the people and the numbers in your career? Oh, really, really important. Yeah. <laughs> um uh I yeah, I mean, maybe especially because I worked in HR for quite a lot of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I could, I can, yeah, I can go toe to toe with any business leader about what's going on in their yeah. business. Yeah. Now, one of the challenges when I moved from consulting into banking is that it took me longer than I had anticipated. So, probably a bit arrogantly thought I'd be able to pick it up quicker. Banking at one level is a very simple business. At another level is not a simple business, especially with a number of three-letter acronyms. It's really when you change industries, when you realise that um, every industry has its own language, right? I only look back now on consulting and realise, you know, how much of that was true um, there. So I don't want to be negative on, on banking, but it's a whole other language, even though, you know, debits and credits are all the way around, you know, all that. Yeah. <laughs> you understand what I mean? So, um but it is, it is really important to be able to talk the language. If you work in business, you've got to be able to talk in the language yeah. of, of business. Now, that doesn't mean become um, another accountant to use because no. my background, because there are plenty of those, just like there are plenty of lawyers and, and stuff that coming back to superpowers that you started this with, um, you've got to bring something distinctive to the table um, as well. Uh, but you've got to understand what's going on at the executive table and to be you know frank my first boq executive meeting i literally was googling three-letter acronyms yeah classic <laughs> now once i could convert them into my language i got it yeah um but yeah you've got to be able to now i now i would use those same three-letter acronyms in conversation because that's part of the that's part of the language and you, you know it yeah you got you got to do it um so i think it is really important going back to your question yeah so there's a hot tip for anyone if you're moving industries get yourself the acronym dictionary <laughs> before you head in um I want to just staying on track with your career were there points in your career where I can hear you've had high expectations of yourselves to, to pick things up quickly and all that sort of stuff but were there moments where and I don't know whether this is in or out of fashion or not anymore but imposter syndrome is real have you felt it throughout your career look I've had moments of absolute self self-doubt um I don't think I've I don't think I've suffered as much as some others to be honest from no. imposter syndrome. I I think that um, I think there's something about being you know you got to be self-aware. I think the greatest leaders are um, very self-aware and every every you know journey of self-discovery on self-awareness means that you know there are things that you're actually not so good at. Right? And that's I think that's okay. <laughs> As long as you're aware of it, and then you build a team, and you and and you know when you're in those moments where maybe you're not at your best, or you can feel it, or you become more aware of what's going on in your stomach and gut. And um, and so I think that I, I don't think I've suffered from suffered from. I don't, I don't think I've got that in in a major sense, uh, but absolutely moments of self doubt. And and I think that the reason why I can kind of 
categorize it that, that way is that you know I have been you know privileged to 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 work with you know a lot of clients that are very that are very senior and and sometimes get to know them quite well and I haven't met a person yet who doesn't have doubts yes agree so I, I'm like yeah sure but then doesn't everyone yeah <laughs> like so so that's what I mean in terms of I don't find it um debilitating if that makes sense no. because um we all do and that that that's part of what's human is is all about is having frailties and having and no one's perfect like that's a no. cliche but no one is at lunch last week with someone who's very senior reached the top echelons and he's now moved on to something else but a little bit in a state of flux as well like me and that's part of the reason we're having lunch and and I would have said he was the most one of the most confident people I've ever met he shared that about some stuff and I just thought and I, I just thought wow like I wouldn't have picked it and so no. that's a very successful man so I um yeah so in answer to your question yeah I have self-doubts and yeah. and I'm you know I'm sure at times they've um you know haven't been my friend for those terms uh but I have to I still you know trust myself to make the right decisions occasionally get it wrong learn from it yeah. uh and everyone has them. Everyone does. Even and some of the most in when you work in HR, you do get to know some people when they're out there. And and sometimes some of the worst behaviors come from yeah people just acting out because they feel under threat because you know and and then you kind of unpack it. There's nothing there. No. So everyone has it. So that's I don't know. That's my kind of take. I love that. I love it. It's one of the reasons I started these conversations was to break down some of those myths, because I think people people see one side of some of these leaders in these very senior roles, and they don't get the privilege to see and be part of that conversation that you and I've just had, that you've mm-hmm. had with that leader, that I had the privilege of a early mentor saying to me. You know, you step into a new role and everyone thinks they're just waiting for people to work out. They don't know what they're doing. Like, it's normal. So, no, I absolutely love that. Um, Deb, I just want to ask, um, I just want to swing our head to a minute to and get some of your insight in the roles that you've been in. One of the things that I think is pretty disturbing um, you know, and if I look at the recent Gallup polls that have come out, for example, mm-hmm. global. But even if we just focus it on Australia, you're sort of saying over 80% of our workforces are disengaged or actively disengaged. And I hear from a lot of leaders that they feel stuck in their career. What's your perspective on that? Just sort of as you reflect on some of those stats, what what's the opportunity? What's that telling us? What can people do? Yeah, I mean, it's um, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, I find it, I find it sad. I find it mm. sad. Yeah, because people spend so much of their time at, at work, you know, maybe not physically in an office anymore, but in, in a work context. And to be unhappy, which is more like actively disengaged, I suppose, yes. um, is, is really sad. Uh, and then even for people who are just kind of turning the, turning the wheel, if you like, yeah. um, but not getting any, I don't know, joy or... Um, value from that relationship I find sad um, as well so uh, the reasons for it I think they're you know they're they're many and varied I'm sure like they are with any with any um, with any problem I I do think that um, 
uh, like you know I've done a, you know a lot of reading on you know things like you know motivation and and all those good things and and you and you look at it and it hasn't really changed over you know 50 or 100 years right because humans are still humans mm. so um I do think that and the the thinker if you like that I like the best on this is um like this Daniel Pink kind of stuff which is good but um the kind of lady called Rosabeth Moss Cantor who's a Harvard professor and I like things that are easy to remember. I mean, I remember things in threes, which I think is not unusual. Um, and as she talks about the three M's of motivation. And, and one of them is not money. So money is not one of the three M's. Mm-hmm. But they are meaning, mastery, and membership. And so a sense of me. So what I think we've lost yes. over um, COVID pandemic times um, is we need to connect people better with a sense of purpose or meaning um, in an organisation. And you'd asked me about a book that I would, you know, and one of the book was The Meaning Revolution, which is not, which is not Cantor book, but it's on, on the same kind of, um, so a sense of meaning. So connecting people to the organisation's meaning and then, but being real about it. So I think that there's a um, generation coming through, I think have a, a heightened sense of, I don't want to, cynicism, skepticism is probably the right Bullshit word. detector. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. There's the sense of bullshit around what organisations say about purpose and meaning. And so I think because it's such a strong motivator that um, I think organisations generally have really struggled with that and struggled through it, with it through the pandemic, even though I think that we saw organisations, corporates, et cetera, do actually very good work during the pandemic and we so I worked in HR during that time and that was one of the, you know, HR really, I think, did a good job through that period um, in a very, very stressful environment. One of my HR friends, it was, it was a very stressful time for HR community. Um, so I think the sense of meaning is, is probably um, at the authenticity in that meaning, yes. not the and cup, cup, coffee cups and um, cupcakes. Uh, and then membership, yeah, people feeling sense of a, a sense of community. Um, so uh, I'm, you know, there's so much stuff out there around return to the office and 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 things. And um, I have very strong views on this one, so <laughs> I'll just say what they are. Um, a, I think people are very privileged to be able to work from home. I mean, I've got a son who's a high school teacher. You know, they don't have those kind of privileges. Oh. They're up in front of year nines. On a Friday afternoon. <laughs> um, so, uh, having said that, I think that you know the five day a week in the office is dead. And um, uh, but I think fully remotely working from home, it's very hard to to get that sense of membership and community. And I love what Rosebeth says about membership, which is which is about a sense of community while also honouring the individ- honouring individuality. So it's not about all fitting in; it's about that safe being myself kind of thing. Sense of membership. And then the third one is mastery, which is really around the development of people, people feeling like they're growing and developing. And I think, again, that's where HR has a really strong role to play. But I also know that, you know, many organisations struggle to invest in that the way. So what does an individual do? So I think they're fantastic tips. What does an individual do feeling that way? Well, you know, you know, one answer would be to find somewhere where they can feel that way now yeah. that's an answer and it's a valid answer it's not an answer that that's right for everyone no. though because not everyone has the you know the the privileges to be able um to do that uh, uh but that is an answer for some people um I, I think it's also you know if you if you kind of understand what 
what motivates you as an individual? Like, you know, I just rattled through a couple of things that are generally really important to people, but what is it for you that's most important? Is there a way in which you can um, take some ownership um, of that yourself? Now, I know that's not always easy, um, and, again, that can be scary, but if I think about, you know, growth and personal growth and mastery, for example, um, I know whenever I've felt stagnant because I'm not growing. Yes. Yeah, like if I, I have that sense of curiosity and growth, if I'm not growing, I'm I'm grumpy actually. I'm, yes. I'm <laughs> so, destructive. I'm not just grumpy, I'm destructive. destructive. That's right, yeah. So I think that the, um, so ha- what is great about the evolution of, you know, digital and AI and all the great tools that are out there, mastery and growth is actually much more indiv- in individuals' hands now than it has ever been in the history of time. So um, there are amazing tools out there uh, that are free. Um, so if you're feeling stagnant and you're not getting it in your workplace, then try to spend, you know, 10 minutes a day, whatever it is, on a podcast, on, you know, on Googling on the internet, you know, using Bing, whatever it might be, to find something that you're interested in that you can maybe talk to others about. And then the other thing I would say is that, and this is something that's really come home for me in the last few months, is that the genuine, um, uh, um, God, um, uh, openness, I suppose, genuine openness that people are have to actually have a chat with you like, and, and I found it because open, more people are open are coming to me as well yes yes so I um I think that yeah so have a conversation with someone that you trust um in your organization or outside it about what how you're feeling yeah. and about some things that you're learning about and what's next and then I think get out of the bubble I've used that word a couple of times and I think for me a couple of times I was just so in the bubble of what my job that eventually I got in, you know, it gets into a downward spiral. And so you need to break outside the bubble. Um, and 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 then you'd be amazed what the net, you know, your network can actually open open up. Fantastic. But, yeah. Let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. So I know I want to ask you about your time at UN Women Australia. Um, You're obviously, well, you tell me. Tell me about that time and the impact of that time and then tell me why we don't have more female CEOs. (laughs) (laughs) They're too big. They're too big big topics. Um, And I was actually going to mention you and women at the end of that and I thought I was, because what I was saying about the bubble, one of the things that I found was that I, 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 yeah, I got kind of in the bubble of my fabulous family and the bubble of work that was kind of my bubbles. And I needed, yeah, I, I needed to kind of get outside that. And then um, I was lucky enough to, to, to meet Julia Mackay, who was the then um, CEO of 
UN Women Australia through PwC. Um, and I said, to her, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to help. This is you know, probably ten years ago now. I'd, you know, I'd love to help out with you and Women Australia. I know nothing, got nothing to add. <laughs> um, and she's like, great, fabulous. Um, let's have a chat. And yeah, it turned out I joined the board. Right? Okay. Now I got a, it's a voted process, but I joined the board after a while. Um, and I think what was really, um, why it was really important to me, <laughs> think about me for a second, important to me was that it, it opened up a whole kind of other world outside my corporate, you know, lifestyle yeah. um, to what was going on in the world um, as it related to, to women, obviously, which I've always been passionate about gender equality because it comes back to fairness and equity for me. Um, and, and fabulous group of women in Australia, obviously, but, but more importantly, um, it opened up to what, you know, what, what women were going through around the world, which puts into context... Totally. The Australian Australian experience, um, which is horrific at one level, especially looking, you know, violence against women in Australia, um, uh, which is a scourge and, and just um, despicable. Uh, but then you also you look at it in the context of, you know, um, violence against women across, across the world and the endemic um, nature of that. Um, and so... Yeah, so just as one example, my, my daughter, who's now 22, but I think was 16 at the time, she and I went on a UN, UN Women um, trip to Nepal together mm. um, with maybe 14, 15 other, other women and one man. Um, and uh, through, through, um, through Himalayas, so it was a bit of trekking, but we're not doing Everest or anything, but a bit of trekking um, through villages or whatever. And, you know, to, to see the conditions there, um, it was after the earthquake, um, but you just see amazing, brave women there. Uh, you know, and the example I would give, you know, most kind of shockingly was, you know, something I'd never even heard of, which was, which is a, um, a common, had, was reasonably common, um, a thing called Chapaldi. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, doesn't matter if you haven't, but um, it's outlawed. It's been outlawed since 2005, but still occurs um, in parts of Nepal and other parts of the world um, where when girls and women have their period, they're um, put into what's called a menstruation hut um, because they're impure during that time of their life. It means they can't go to school. You know, Nepal's weather can be quite challenging. And so, you know, they've been known to die in these huts. Um, and so you hear about these kind of things, which are still happening in the world today. Uh and having said that, great work being done by a number of organisations and, and the prevalence has definitely decreased. But we met, we met, you know, girls who were 15 or 16 who were fighting against that practice. Um, and so coming back to what does that mean in the context here is that, and maybe this will link into brave leadership, is, um, you know, I can, I can lean into a conversation about, something tough here it's nowhere near as tough no as what other people the women have to deal with yeah. so um to experience i get emotional um yeah. experience that with my daughter is just amazing i was just thinking about your daughter having been emotional listening to it but i was just thinking about the impact for your daughter as well of being on that trip with you yeah, and 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 it was um it was awesome, and also to, um, to see her with um you know other other women that um you know when when they're sixteen or whatever it's uh 
I'm just thinking she's in the next room and she may not like me saying this, but um, um, the, uh, just seeing her kind of grow, I think, through that, mm. through that, and um, it's just, just amazing. But, um, yeah, no, so I think that coming back to bubbles and it's important to, to, to step out of your own comfort zone and see how it is for other people. I'm, I'm you know, white, privileged, straight, yeah. all those things. Yeah. Um, and not and, and I think that yeah my life has been blessed in so many ways but not everyone does yeah and so with that privilege comes an opportunity right absolutely and yeah. you know an opportunity for us to you know shine a light on some of those things which you had a chance to do so broadly with UN Women Australia when did you step away from from that uh, probably three years ago now. Three, yeah. So three, yeah. Bec- um, it was it's limited. It was limited terms of yeah. yeah. So I stepped away from the board, but still obviously very passionate about its causes yeah. and um and gender equality more more broadly. Obviously, yeah. coming on to your second part of the question, which I didn't get to. <laughs> no, well, and I had the wonderful um I had the wonderful opportunity to interview Simone Clark. Well, yeah, who I think yeah. you you were probably part of bringing into the organisation. Yeah, so um, yes, yeah, so Simone um joined you and women uh just as I was leaving, but I was um I was involved in her in her hiring, so I was I felt like that was a a beautiful gift to leave the organisation with um with Simone becoming CEO a few years ago. Her and I we had a conversation that actually you said something earlier that sort of resonated out of the conversation I had with Simone, and that was um, we were reflecting on International Women's Day last year and mm-hmm. we were reflecting on um, it's almost like so UN, UN women have a theme that comes out for International Women's Day, but it's almost like it had been hijacked by something else, the sort of underlying theme. Uh-huh. And, um, and I felt like last year, and we talked about it, there was a bit of a reaction to please don't service cupcakes anymore. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the cupcakes earlier. Does that resonate for you? Yeah, I express it as something I've said more than a few times in my HR career is I've never seen a cupcake change the world. <laughs> so now having said that, I love cupcakes. Yes. Like dog, I'm not anti-cupcakes, no. but um, I, uh, yeah, we need meaningful change. And, uh, and I, I feel that, um, yeah, there, there are certainly people who, um, who kind of hijack aspects of, feminist activism yeah. <laughs> and I'm very proudly a feminist yeah. um that uh don't actually further the cause uh in a in a meaningful in a meaningful way and it's a bit like you know earlier about um the uh uh you know sense of meaning and purpose in organizations yeah I mean my, my bullshit detector goes up pretty high <laughs> on um on uh yeah pink washing as it's called yeah i'll check back in with you before any international women's day activities for next year so that we can we can just run and pass the bullshit detector i'll encourage yeah. you to reach out with you because you're in your connection phase right so <laughs> yeah please don't my message to anyone listening is please do not um go to iwd.com and use their yes use the real theme which is from the un Yes, yes, Uh, which is all about um, economic empowerment, I saw, for next year. So Yeah, which is an important, um, yeah, Yeah. so um, 
or yeah, so very much about economic empowerment, which is which is a great from an Australian perspective is actually a beautiful piece of synergy with the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. Um, obviously, have just released results recently, which has seen a small increase. Uh, sorry, a small decrease in the gap, but, um, which is you know encouraging. Uh, but also the public disclosure of gender pay gaps next year. Absolutely. So, which um, I think will be fascinating and um, very enlightening. And, and I think all the organisations are very much preparing for that. So um, it'll, it'll tie in nicely with a number of things that are happening in Australia right now. So I finally let you get to the question around why don't we have more female CEOs? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think there are a few, I think there are a few reasons, if, you know, if you think about, you know, female CEOs obviously have to come through the leadership um, pipeline. Um, kind of just pop out of nowhere and I think that leadership pipeline um, is definitely impacted by a couple of things one is um, the the disproportionate um, responsibility borne by women in relation to caring response responsibilities um, and I think that uh, that's a choice you know men and women will make and that and that's perfectly fine but you know society and corporations aren't really yet fully um, designed, if you like, for, for people with caring responsibilities. And, you know, I am a massive advocate for men taking parental leave. Yes. And for sharing of parental um, responsibilities. Um, uh, I mean, I should, have, I should have declared maybe earlier that, that my husband um, has been, you know, really the primary carer for, for our kids. Um, I can assure you at the ages of 25 and 22, they still love me. And no. we have a great relationship. Um, coming back to you know, sensibly mum guilt or whatever, they are fabulous adults. Yeah. Um, so I think that caring responsibilities is a big is a big factor. Uh, and yeah, and we need more men taking parental leave for lots of reasons. There's great research which I can't quote right now, but I've now read it. You know, out of Scandinavian countries around shared parental leave and, yeah. and what that does. And so, the more that organisations cannot just have the policies. But also be encouraging it culturally, um, I think makes a hell of it makes a hell of a difference. So caring responsibilities, I think, is one reason. Um, second one is just bias, like you know, call it conscious or unconscious. It's more than it's 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 uh, particularly in ma- what I'll call male dominated um, industries. Uh, there is still, you know, there's still a a challenge I think for for some people and it's not just men but some women as well as seeing women in leadership uh, because I think that you know there are aspects using gendered which I don't really like doing but using gendered cliches to some degree because that you know some women lead differently than the tradition of, yes. of a man um, and so I think that's still a big that's still a big factor so I would say they're probably the two major yeah. reasons for yeah. it both of which are, are, are absolutely surmountable with, with the right kind of changes through society. Have you ever encountered any of that bias in your career, like any that you'd call out? Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, I think, I think yeah. So I, I, and I would put it probably more in the unconscious element of it. And so a couple of things, I suppose, about my life that are relevant to that, as I said, Wayne, my husband's, you know, full, has been a full-time primary carer for for most of our kids lives and um and so to some degree I fitted the the um the corporate kind of you know that I had a stay-at-home spouse right yeah um but then people would still assume that 
I would have to leave early because I had to pick up the kids and stuff, which is perfectly fine, by the way. But there's just an assumption because mm-hmm. you're a mum and you that that you wouldn't be able to. Like I moved cities for my, for my job. Um, I had a great mentor, by the way, who probably didn't have those biases. But for some people, it's like, well, how can she move because there's no husband? You know, what about her husband's job? Yes. Well, my husband about work at that time to come and so. Um, but that those kind of second questioning of things, of those kind of opportunities, and it was an opportunity, effectively what got me to partner quite quite young, um, those opportunities um, would more likely go to a man if they kind of thought that that would be easier for him to manage that yes. than it would be for me with a trailing, you know, male spouse. The, there's the kind of little things that you kind of, they're like the micro stuff that, like I remember going to an event and I was on the leadership of PwC at the time and talking to one of the partners there who was quite new to the firm and he actually thought I was the CEO's EA. We've all we've all had that, yeah. I was standing next to the CEO at, at the time and chatting and as we did. And, uh, yeah, now that would never happen to a man. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's those little micro things, those micro unconscious bias and he was horrified when he wrote out what he did yes. um so he's not a bad person right no. um uh but it's those little micro things that i think absolutely add up yeah. over time to um to kind of lack of opportunity like i don't think i i don't think you know i don't I'm not saying i was discriminated against no. but I there's a little bits that just add up over time, which I think is part of that kind of build up of bias that 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 weighs that weighs on women. Um, and then you know those biases are much more prevalent, you know, um, into intersectionality of it all. If you're if you're a woman of color, woman of disability, um, you know, not straight, like there's a whole lot of other elements that make, it, that make it even harder. We're not all starting from the same start line. No. So, yeah. Okay, so spin spin ourselves back to you on where you are. I mean, you've made this really intentional step now to step away from corporate and you gave some insight before into some of the things you're doing. How are you how are you navigating this time? Tell us what, you know, what that's looking like and feeling like. Yeah, so I think um I mean, initially and I have to say up front, 100% happy with my decisions. So let me say all of that up front. <laughs> um, I think initially it's just like this um, almost feel of elation, really, that you kind of, <laughs> that I'm not on a, you know, watching my diary for every five minutes. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not up early. <laughs> you know, I haven't had an alarm in week, you know, months, actually. I think I had one to go to a, you know, on a holiday. Um, and so, uh, so just the openness to to conversations and stuff has been awesome. Where I'm at is the um, where I'm at is that yeah, I'm starting to tell people that I'm kind of open for business. Yes. And I said to someone last week um, that I'm kind of in this two kind of my my head's kind of in two spaces. One is let's just go whole hog and you know let's you know go really hard. And well, that's kind of one thing because I'm I'm a pretty driven person. But then secondly, I kind of go, well, oh my God, what if that, what if no one wants me? Yes. yes. Oh my God. Or well, then the other side of me, which is the slightly arrogant one, is 
what if a lot of people want me and I don't want to work 100 hours a week yes. so um how do I manage that so I'm kind of a bit binary on that um so I but having said that I'm especially because it's coming into Christmas I'm just having lots of conversations I've got a couple of opportunities um I actually lost one last week right. and, and and that's the first one I'd heard back from and that's so that was like a moment mm. right yeah and I understand why and it's fine. And I'm a former consultant, so you kind of get used to rejection. It's one of the things you get used to. Um, but it's still in this moment, I'm not selling PwC anymore. I'm selling me. And that's yes. a very, oh, different, very different. So, um, and then I'm also exploring um, non-executive director roles, whether that be listed or unlisted companies. That's going to take quite some time, which is good and fine. It's been interesting, just as an aside, and I've spoken to a lot of directors. Um, yeah, that that especially women, especially women directors, not surprisingly, um, you know, kind of cautioning me about, you know, the how difficult the media can be. Yes, order goes badly, and the media will just the media will disagree with this, I'm sure, but it does seem to be a disproportionate. Like there's a lot of women who've, you know, who've been reputationally damaged and who haven't deserved it to be honest and I even look at um the open AI um, board and um you know the sacking of the CEO a couple of weeks ago you know the only two you know two female directors are the ones that have stepped off I saw that and so there's there's definitely gendered aspects to that that are that are concerning um but the slightly bolshy part of me again is more like well I still want to do it yeah. so I might regret that later but we'll see Deb I love that you joined us at a point that and I've been at that point from making a decision myself to step away or not to return um, and we all have a different trigger for doing that for me it was a health trigger and I thought well this is a chance now to do something else and my kids were teenagers I want to be around a bit more when they're teenagers um, but I resonated so strongly with that point where you said two things. One, you're not selling an organisation anymore, you're selling yourself, and it's a huge step for people. We're not used to that. Mm. The other thing that almost made me sort of laugh was that one part of you wanting to go full on, you know, you know, gung-ho down that path because that's me too. Is that because that's the way you've always been, like when you think about through your career? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's go hard. It's it's. If you're either going to do it, do it, do it, do it big or don't do it at all. Yeah, go hard or go home. Right. Yeah, go hard or go home. Um, so, but at this stage of my life, I yeah, I want a bit more balance. Yeah. In that. Yeah. 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 And that fear, that fear of what if everyone wants me to do stuff, that ended up. I mean, that ended up. I was lucky. That ended up being part of my journey. And I took everything that came my way, and I say this quite regularly now, I took everything that came my way because I was scared that if I did, yeah. people weren't going to want me anymore. Um, but having come through the other side of that, um, I think taking that balanced approach that you're focused on, but also so many coffees. Our networks are wonderful and generous. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was a huge eye-opening moment to me because I didn't invest enough in my career in my network I had a good network a great network but I really didn't invest yeah in it. um I did yeah, I think it's a great reflection was because I I I you know a couple of people have said oh no I probably said to myself actually if I'm honest <laughs> oh I should have 
I should have done more of this whilst in the last year or so of my of my work, of my yeah. full-time work. I said that to a couple of people and they've gone, and you had the time, like, like what? It's <laughs> um, hard, right? It's hard, right? And um, and sometimes some a friend of mine once said to me, sometimes you've got to kind of close one, I wonder have the phrase right, close one window completely before the other one can can open. Yeah. And I think for me, I needed, and I'm kind of, and I am kind of, once I'm, when I'm in something, I'm kind of fully in it. And so I, it is hard for me to be doing a bit of both at the same time. So BOQ certainly got everything out of me in that last year or so. Um, and I, yeah, I just didn't have the, I did not have the energy. And that's part of the reason why I also took, you know, I took a, you know, three months of, yeah, I had, a, I kind of chatted to a few people I knew, I knew pretty well, but generally, I, try, I mean, I was away for two months of that, like I went overseas to family, yeah. so Amazing. I just needed a break, yeah. Amazing. Sounds like your priorities were spot on with where they needed to be, so travel, <laughs> travel and refresh first. Um, you have been so wonderfully generous, Deb, in our conversation. And look, I know we'll be circling back. We'll be circling back in 12 months' time, yeah, <laughs> two of this journey with where you're oh, at. Sure. But I would just love to get your perspective. From your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean? And do you think it needs to change? Uh, yeah, I mean, at one level, I think brave leadership is brave leadership. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of don't like to get too much into the kind of gendered nature I mean that's a provocative view I know but but in thinking about it even more I think that to use a gendered thing I think women generally um can be more intuitive and kind of listen you know they they kind of pick up signals in a way that generally (laughs) there are always exceptions generally men men do not and so I think brave feminine leadership is really um listening and deeply listening to your your intuition mm. about what what it, what it is what what's right or what you're seeing or hearing or feeling more importantly what you're feeling and acting and acting on it i said earlier that you know i don't regret the things i i done i regret things i didn't and sometimes i haven't listened to my to my gut mm. so i think brave feminine leadership is actually listening to that intuition mm-hmm. and acting on it even if it's not the popular view especially if you're in a group that's predominantly male that's brave so i think that's what it is for me fantastic well we wish you farewell as you head into this mm-hmm. phase of your career where your gut will lead your way <laughs> I, you. I trust it will i trust it will you do thank you have a wonderful day it's fantastic having you join the conversation Deb. and that was the end of another podcast conversation so thank you so much for listening to the episode today i often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first and so i wanted to take a brief moment just to share how i've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second guessing themselves so that they can maximize their influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.